0: Hello friends, and welcome to episode 141 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I am joined by an archaeologist and cryptid enthusiast to search for the truth about our most mysterious neighbor, Bigfoot. We talk about hominid evolution, cryptid ecology, the importance of oral history and traditional knowledge, and what Bigfoot can teach us about ourselves and our own relationship with nature, wherever you fall on the spectrum of skepticism. This episode is pretty different from what we usually do here on the show, and that is because it's a special occasion. This is the Max Fun Drive. It's the time of year when all the podcasts on the Maximum Fund Network focus our efforts on going above and beyond to ask for your support. This show and the others on the network are artist-owned and listener-supported, meaning that your contributions keep us going. You can be part of the Max Fun Drive and join now at MaximumFun.org slash join. I will be back in a little while to tell you more about what that means and what's in it for you. But first, Just the Zoo of Us presents... Bigfoot with Elliot Helmer. everybody it is Ellen Weatherford I'm here with your favorite animal review podcast just the zoo of us this week with it being the max fun drive we have something really exciting and super different from what we usually do but something a lot of you have been asking for so I think you're really gonna like it this week we're joined by a new friend this is Elliot Helmer say hi Elliot
1: hello everybody
0: I'm so excited to be talking to you. We've been chatting back and forth for a while, and I'm really excited for this episode because it's super different from what we usually do, but I think it's going to be great, and I think everybody's going to love it. Elliot, you're here to talk about a cryptid, which is something we haven't tackled on this show before, but this should not be the only time we talk about cryptids on the show. So opening the door to cryptids on just the Zoo of Us. So before we talk about our cryptid friend today, let's talk about you a little bit, Elliot. What got you into studying
1: Bigfoot? like, what, How did you get here? Well, Bigfoot is more of a hobby for me. <laughs> Technically, I'm an archaeologist that studies shellfish procurement and the relationships between people and land, but in my free time, I am deeply obsessed with cryptids generally, Bigfoot especially because he's kind of, you know, the poster boy of cryptids. This is the cryptid. If you've heard of a cryptid, you've heard of Bigfoot. Exactly. And it's actually not totally out of left field, because I'm an archaeologist. And in the United States, archaeology is a subfield of anthropology, which is the study of people, but also non-human primates. And so Bigfoot, being a non-human primate, fits right in with anthropology. And there's actually... Lots of anthropologists that publish about Bigfoot and have published about Bigfoot. So it might seem sort of out of left field, but really it's it's right at home. It's my own little side project within uh, within anthropology,
0: yeah. What got you interested in Bigfoot? I know you said this is kind of like a personal interest for you. Where did that come from?
1: I've always been one of those little kids that was really into like fantasy stuff. You know, I read a lot of fantasy books. I read a lot of, you know, like the Spiderwick Chronicles and other things where like a little kid goes and finds like magical creatures. That was like the (laughs) dream. And so I sort of just got into Bigfoot through that general interest in like fantasy creatures. And sort of as I've like grown up, Bigfoot and cryptids specifically have been something that's really like stuck like my main interest moving beyond like kids fantasy stuff, just like Bigfoot culture bigfoot aesthetics the culture around like studying bigfoot and finding bigfoot i think is very interesting
0: it's that element of
1: mystery yeah right like you get that in fantasy
0: media also but it's that feeling of like wonder and mystery and something being beyond our comprehension that you get just in real
1: life yeah and it's not like there's like some fantasy stuff that's like there's dragons or this person like can do magic spells whereas like bigfoot i feel like could really exist out there in the real world and so it's like that fantasy thing that you can bring to your everyday life of like wondering is it or isn't it it's not like Mm -hmm. you know dragons or mermaids or something that seem a little bit more fantastical it's like this could really be here
0: it may be a little bit different if bigfoot perhaps had
1: magical powers yes like if bigfoot could like teleport and fly and <laughs> although I was gonna say control the weather, although there are some original indigenous stories about Bigfoot where he can control the weather. So <laughs> Bigfoot has a lot a lot to give. Bigfoot yeah. has a lot to give. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but in terms of just like a big guy yes. that's just like in the woods yeah. that is completely within like yes. the realm of well yeah there's big guys yeah <laughs> sometimes at his
1: core he is just a big guy that lives in the woods and even in like one of the like more popular depictions of bigfoot is there's a or it's not about bigfoot but there's like a x-files episode about like the jersey devil and they they literally just make it a guy in the woods it's just a guy <laughs> in the woods and they talk about bigfoot in that episode where they really are just like it's just a guy he's in the woods it's just guy he's out there <laughs> yeah and like that's there are guys in the woods all the time one of them could be bigfoot <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is totally within the realm of plausibility and yes. familiarity yes yeah
1: feels much more tangible
0: with that being said sometimes people refer to bigfoot as like we said a guy as in like there's just the one like yeah. I, i'm thinking of like a legendary pokemon like there's just the one bigfoot but i've also heard people talk about bigfoot as like a species yeah. like that there's multiple bigfoot big feet bigs feet bigfoots
1: yeah, i know um,
0: so like what what is bigfoot is it just the one bigfoot or is there like an idea of there being lots of them
1: i have always thought of it more of there being lots of bigfoots is how i'm going to go with the pluralization because big feet just sounds weird but I think that it's like, especially if you're thinking about Bigfoot more as like a tangible animal, like something that exists in like, that could exist in the real world, it makes more sense for there to be multiple because otherwise then you would have to accept that there's one Bigfoot that has been alive since like the 40s
0: and (laughs) like somehow
1: ends up all over like the Western seaboard and like into like the Midwest. Like if you're thinking about Bigfoot as like something that really could exist, you sort of have to like accept that there's multiple, like this is a species that does have that longer extent they could be around for generations and generations it's sort of like if you are envisioning it more as like a tangible creature rather than like a fantastical creature it kind of needs to be a whole species rather than just one immortal bigfoot
0: unless parthenogenesis is involved it's true
1: there could always be one at a time
0: it's just the one bigfoot that is self-replicating possible and then they'd all be a clone oh and Bigfoot would be a female of yeah. their species that would be capable of reproducing via parthenogenesis.
1: That's possible. I guess I haven't really thought about the parthenogenesis aspect. But then you would still have to believe that Bigfoot can like really get around, like really be moving. Like people are sighting him in California. They're sighting him in like Southern California. Like how do, how'd you get from Washington to California so quickly? That's right. With just one guy. But I don't know. He's got big feet, long legs. There you go. His stride is so long. It's true. He can cover distance. It's true. And there are like physical anthropology papers about like Bigfoot's stride and like what based on like Bigfoot footprints what was his what would his stride be like? What is his gait like? So there's yeah. research out there.
0: He's really getting around. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so with that being said, when we say that he is a cryptid. Yes. Like how do you define
1: what a cryptid is? So the technical definition of cryptid is an animal whose existence is disputed. Or it can also include animals that exist in places they shouldn't be. There are like stories about like big cats, like panthers and stuff on like the moors in England, like and those are considered cryptids. It's because the existence of that animal in that place is disputed and like we don't really know for sure if that animal is real. Cryptozoology then is the study of cryptids. It's the study of these Maybe or maybe not real creatures, which sort of distinguishes like Bigfoot and like cryptids from things like leprechauns, which is like not an animal so much, or like it distinguishes it from like aliens. They're sort of in the same. People lump them together, but technically aliens wouldn't be cryptids because it's not. They're not like animals whose existence is disputed. They're like a whole extraterrestrial thing. But What's interesting about cryptids is that there are a lot of cryptids that are no longer cryptids because their existence has been confirmed. So I know you've talked about the Okapi on the show before, and it used to be that the Okapi was a cryptid. And that's really like, that's the cryptozoologist's like favorite thing to talk about is like, well, <laughs> did you know that the Okapi was a cryptid? And then they discovered it was real, so it's possible for all cryptids
0: (laughs) it does lend that element of plausibility to it that's like well you know this has happened where we thought something was fake and it wasn't exactly
1: and one of those things is that for a lot of the cryptids that have had their existence confirmed when you're saying its existence is disputed really you can sort of think of that as its existence is disputed by like white people and western science because like the okapi the people that live in that area knew the okapi existed they told people the okapi existed and that happens a lot is the like native people will say yeah there's this animal that has zebra legs but like a deer head and it's like oh that's not real but just because you haven't seen it like the native people are telling you like yeah i know that that's there right why don't you believe me There's this great paper about Bigfoot that I'll probably discuss later by this anthropologist named Wayne Suttles who worked in like the um, Puget Sound and Southern British Columbia area. And he talks about how like, if you listen to somebody describe what a beaver is, like, oh, it's this giant rodent that can cut down trees and build dams and communicate with other beavers through like sound. That doesn't sound right. A rodent that can cut down trees (laughs) and build dams? But beavers are real. And he like described that as like, you can't just based on their description of it outright say that something isn't real. Like, I think what, the way that he phrases it is like, you can't use ethnography, which is basically the study of contemporary people, like a detailed study of contemporary people. Ethnography can't disprove beavers any more than it can disprove Bigfoot. Reminds me a lot of the platypus, how
0: early Western scientists saw a platypus and were like, surely not. (laughs) Surely not. This can't be right. I
1: mean, there's a lot of like, (laughs) one of my favorite things is looking at like old medieval illustrations of like animals that like lived in like Africa and stuff. Like the first time that they heard of a hippopotamus and they're like, I I don't know how to draw this. And then you see these absolutely (laughs) ridiculous drawings of what they think that it might be. Basically... The world used to have many more cryptids before white people got out and identified everything. They used to think, like, people in Europe are hearing about people discovering giraffes and are like, no. No, absolutely not.
0: That can't possibly be the case. (laughs) You have (laughs) made this up. This is a
1: farce. (laughs) Yeah, and so now the thing with cryptids is that, you know, we've discovered the whole known world. We know we've mapped... The entire globe and so the question then being like what's left to discover but we know that like we're constantly making new discoveries in especially like the deep sea they're finding new species of like snakes and bugs and stuff like that so you know there's always the possibility for discovery even though we think we've discovered everything in the world there things are much more diverse than we expect or give credit to
0: yeah, another famous example, since you mentioned the deep sea, you know, coelacanth,
1: that was just chilling the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, there's stuff out there you, you would never, never think to s- describe. And like, you know, there are parts of the world outside of like the United States where everything is very developed, right? Where there is a lot of forest that hasn't been explored or, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, maybe the native people are telling you that something is there. And all this time, we haven't been believing them. So... Anyway, I think that there something about cryptids as wonderful is just the idea of like there being things left to explore and there being mystery. It's almost sort of like goes with that idea of scientific discovery, where like people love science because they love the idea of discovery and learning something new. And I think that cryptids really lend themselves to that, just like to the extreme. Yeah. <laughs> Are Bigfoot and Sasquatch the same thing? Sort of. So Sasquatch specifically is a word that comes from a Coast Salish language. Specifically, it comes from Hulkamaylam. And Sasquatch comes from the Hulkamaylam word Sasquatch which the direct translation isn't really clear, but Saskatch refers to a giant, hairy man that lives out in the mountains, basically, which was a figure in, like, Coast Salish, like, zoology. Like, when you're asking, when, again, Wayne Suttles, this anthropologist that worked with the Coast Salish, he would give them books of, like, here's a list of all the species in Washington, all the mammals in Washington. Give me the translation for all of these species. And they would go through and say... Oh, well, you're missing a couple of species, and they would say like, "Well, you're missing. You don't have Sasquatch on here. You don't have these other like these this two-headed snake. You don't have on here." And so, Sasquatch comes specifically from the Coast Salish language and from like Coast Salish worldviews. But Bigfoot is often used much more generally to refer to like how Bigfoot manifests in lots of cultures, like obviously people in like California aren't speaking this British Columbia language but they still have like a giant hairy man that lives in the woods they just call him something different so Bigfoot and Sasquatch are pretty much the same thing it's just a difference in etymology but then there are also large humanoid primates like that that live literally all over the world these are stories that come up literally everywhere and so Bigfoot and Sasquatch usually just ends up referring to the ones that are in North America Whereas, like you mentioned, like Florida has skunk ape, Australia has the yaoi, Indonesia has the orang pendek, which translates to like short person, which is basically like, like a smaller version of Bigfoot. And then obviously there's the yeti in the Himalayas, right? And so these are all functionally the same as a giant hairy man that lives out in the mountains or the woods or whatever, but nobody would refer to those as Bigfoot. Bigfoot's really like a North American phenomenon, and... I get very heated with people what are trying to say. Well, <laughs> I heard that I saw Bigfoot in like Ohio and I'm like, no, Bigfoot lives on the West coast. <laughs> Bigfoot is a, is a species with an actual range that lives in the West coast. I don't know what you saw out in Ohio, but it wasn't Bigfoot. <laughs> um, but no, that's our cryptid that lives here. You can't just, totally destroys the credibility of Bigfoot to just say you saw it wherever you want.
0: We are cryptid gatekeeping.
1: Exactly. Well, it's like, <laughs> like people are like, oh, I saw Mothman and Mothman is a different cryptid. But Mothman was like sighted in like Cincinnati or like Chicago or something a couple of years ago. And I'm like, No mothman is west virginia's
0: right like specifically appalachian like you
1: can't take that like you can't just say that you saw mothman in chicago you have your own stuff going on chicago don't be taking other people's cryptids (laughs) there's actually like a whole other cryptid in like that area like in wisconsin illinois michigan which is dogman which is its own whole thing so why don't you just stick with your cryptids
0: you got your own interesting stuff going on you don't need to branch out let us have
1: this (laughs) yeah which i also think sort of goes to that idea of like if we're talking about bigfoot as an actual tangible animal it has to have like a range you can't just live everywhere like if you are talking about it as a thing that could exist it needs to have a specific range and i think that range would be west of the rockies
0: when you were describing the variations of what we consider to be a bigfoot-like creature that occur all over the world you know, when you're talking about like Yeti or the
1: smaller one Orang Pendek. Orang Pendek. Reminds me of orangutan. It's the same etymology. So, orang means person. And you're describing,
0: like, them having very noticeable physical differences between them, like, one of them being much smaller. It reminds me of, like, the variation you see in species, maybe, like, a genus of species that occur over a wide range, where some of them might be much taller than the others. Some of them might have more hair or less hair or be skinnier or be bulkier. You see that in, you know, genuses of animals that live over wide ranges. So, like you said, if we're applying Bigfoot lore to tangible real-world species, it makes sense that they'd have a wide range with physical variation to adapt to different environments.
1: And something that's really interesting about the orang deck, it's the same sort of thing. It's a hairy humanoid lives in the like mountains. What's really interesting about that is that there is a species of hominin, um, Homo floresiensis, which is a human, not a human ancestor, but a human relative from the past uh, that is from like the Indonesia Sumatra area that was... A very very tiny human, basically. Like Mm -hmm. when they were discovered, like those fossils were discovered around the same time that the Lord of the Rings movies were popular. Mm -hmm. So they're often referred to as the Hobbit. Like they're the Uh. Hobbit species. So I think that there's probably this like connection between this idea of these very small people, the Homo floresiensis, that sort of carries through this orang pendek thing, which speaks to the fact that before like 40,000 years ago, there were multiple species of human that existed on the planet at the same time. And so it's interesting to think that maybe that like manifestation of Bigfoot could be this like hold over like cultural memory of those smaller people because we don't know exactly when Homo floresiensis went extinct. We don't know how much of an overlap there is with modern humans. So these sorts of things can be like carried over like through generations and generations, these stories which I think is really interesting. It's really impressive what we as like a human species are capable of maintaining just through like oral histories and learned like cultural beliefs that just persist for like thousands and thousands of years.
0: Right. Because that's like an element of our natural history yeah. that just gets passed down, even though that's so far removed from what anybody on our living on our planet would remember.
1: Yeah. The tribe that I work with in Oregon has stories of like rhinoceroses that like lived like in Oregon. And then there's been like evidence of potential like Pleistocene, like Ice Age megafauna, like these giant species that like existed way, way back when. And there's like a thought that these stories of the rhinoceros could just be this holdover cultural memory from way back when. And so I think that there's something to be said about like this widespread belief in Bigfoot or other large non-humans and the idea of this cultural memory that we have of there being other species of humans. like It's very unnatural in terms of like the grand scheme of human evolution for us to be the only species of our genus all alone in the world, whereas up until 40,000 years ago, which is when Neanderthals went extinct, there were multiple species of human. And I think that part of why Bigfoot is so widespread is that we're kind of lonely. You know, as a species, like it's very rare for species to be just the one species in their genus. It definitely happens. You've talked about different species like that on the show, but I think that, like, part of it is that, you know, we're kind of lonely. So we want to invent our relatives, our people that are just that are like us, but not like us, um, because it's not natural for us to not have. Millions and millions of years, there were multiple species of human, so it's not our natural state.
0: Yeah, and believing in there being still extant members of the human genus would, I think, feel like a connection to nature as a human. Yeah. Like, humans so often see themselves as being separate from nature, but if you are still thinking about, oh, well, we have relatives that descend from the same line of early early humans that are still here, it just makes you feel more like understanding your place in the animal kingdom a yeah. little bit more than just, if you're thinking of like our human relatives as being like bonobos, or chimpanzees, or something that seems more farther removed. Mm -hmm. But then that might feel a little bit more distancing between you and the rest of the animal tree. But if there's a little bit more of a bridge there, you know, that feels a little bit more like a connection.
1: And like, historically, there was a bridge like, I mean, we coexisted with Neanderthals for 1000s of years in Europe. And we know for a fact that we were breeding with Neanderthals because almost all humans have some small percentage of Neanderthal DNA. Like these other species of humans were something that we interacted with and had relationships with. So yeah, like the idea that bonobos being our closest like relative That still feels very distant because it's not the same kind of relationship that we were able to have with the other members of our genus. I've even heard like people call like Bigfoot or Sasquatch Homo Sasquatchensis to try to like give it that sort of like species place. But I think what you said about the idea that we're very, I think humans are very concerned about like where we fit into the world, where we fit into the animal kingdom. And there's like a long history of like, western civilizations and like europeans thinking like well we fit into the animal kingdom by being on top of it we're gonna dominate nature we're like different from nature and we're in charge of it whereas most cultures outside of like europe didn't see it that way they saw maybe they were apart from nature but at the same level as other species or that there was no difference between us and nature at all and so i think that the other thing about bigfoot being so widespread is that We're very obsessed with like fitting ourselves into nature and deciding like, where do humans fit in the grand scheme of things? What makes us different from all the other species? Because obviously we are different, but how and why? And I think that having that sort of foil in having these sort of Bigfoot-like stories all across the world is sort of our own way of dealing with where do we fit in? What makes us different from nature? And what would it look like if maybe we weren't as different from nature, you know, getting philosophical about Bigfoot?
0: <laughs> well, I think that's what Bigfoot brings out in people, you know, is I, I think that makes people feel very introspective and feel yeah. very, like, philosophical about, like, what does Bigfoot mean to me?
1: It's <laughs> a big question. He's deep, in my, he's deep in my heart and my soul. Yeah, I think he brings that out. Yeah. And like I said, humans are obsessed with this. There's hundreds of papers in anthropology and archaeology just to fo- like about like, when did we become human? Like, when can we trace humanity back to, we're obsessed with ourselves in that way. And so Bigfoot sort of fits into that larger scholarly tradition, I guess I yeah. would say. <laughs>
0: Hey friends, it's time for a quick break from the search for Bigfoot, so charge up your flashlights and refill your trail mix while I fill you in on the Max Fun drive. This is our very first Max Fun Drive as part of the network. So, for those of you who have never listened through one before, here's a quick rundown. Maximum Fun and its podcasts are supported directly by memberships funded by you, the audience. Supporting members are the whole reason we are able to continue producing this podcast and communicating wildlife science in our own fun and approachable way. Once a year as a network, we all go nuts putting a ton of creativity and effort into to letting you know how you can support the show as a member and also sweeten the deal a little bit with some extra goodies like bonus content and actual physical gifts. So now that you know what's going on, we are asking you, our listeners, to please join us as a member and support the show if you're able. Memberships start as low as $5 a month for access to the entire library of bonus content that includes hundreds of hours of exclusive episodes from shows on the network like The Adventure Zone, Sawbones, Triple Click, and us. Just for this year's Max Fun Drive, we made a bonus episode in which we drafted brackets of our favorite animals from the show and had a high stakes knockout tournament to crown one of them with the coveted title of our favorite animal. That is already up and available for any member to listen to right now. So if you want to know which animal won our hearts, uh, join if you haven't already and go check it out. If you have already joined, you can upgrade or boost your membership to a higher level. And there are some cool physical gifts that you can get when you upgrade your membership, which I'll be back to talk about later on in this episode. You can also gift somebody a membership. So if you know somebody who wants access to the bonus content but can't swing it, you can brighten their day by getting it for them. So to give you even more of a reason to sign up for a membership, we have got some really exciting goals to look forward to. First up, we've got an initial goal of 75 new upgrading or boosting members by the end of the drive on Friday, May 6th. If enough of you sign up to support us and we hit that goal, we will make a very special episode playing a one-shot mini campaign of Dungeons & Dragons. And if we keep going strong and hit 100 new upgrading or boosting members, I will live stream a video game. It's going to be really fun. If we totally smash those goals, we'll reveal even more. So keep an eye on our social media for updates on our progress throughout the drive. While you're there, if you do join Upgrade or Boost as a member, let us know by tagging us in a post or sending us a message. I've been replying with hand-drawn animal doodles as thanks for support us. Uh, they're really cute and we've been having a great time. So if you are able and ready to be a part of the Max Fun Drive, head over to maximumfun.org join. Alright, lace up your hiking boots, grab your binoculars. It's time to get back to the Bigfoot episode. You know, since Bigfoot is such a special case and he's very different from the animals we typically review on this show, if you're oh. if this is your first time ever listening, this is a very strange episode to get in on if this is your first one. But we like to rate animals out of 10 in different categories. But since Bigfoot is very different from the animals we usually talk about, we wanted to do something a little bit different because we didn't feel like the categories that we typically apply to our animals were gonna work for Bigfoot and what we know about him. So instead, we're branching out a little bit and we've got some custom categories that we're gonna rate Bigfoot on. Um, The first of which is plausibility. So for plausibility, we're using this rating to express how much you believe in your heart that Bigfoot is physically present out there, kicking it in the woods, in the sense that like you could go there and see and touch a Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, what would you give Bigfoot for plausibility?
1: In my heart and my soul, I want Bigfoot to be real so badly, but <laughs> I think that I'm going to give Bigfoot a four in plausibility. That's something. <laughs> don't nec- there you know some convincing evidence, but I think to like give some real justification for why I think that, I'm going to give like a little bit of like ecological background on what what a real Bigfoot would be like in the world Absolutely. and why I don't necessarily think that you can really give him more than a generous four <laughs> in terms of tangibility. <laughs> I briefly like mentioned this idea that Bigfoot hairy bipedal non-human primate lives sort of in the mountains of, like, the western United States. This is, like, a huge... Animal. So this isn't like you know we discover new species of like insects all the time. This is a giant species that we have somehow not seen. Hard to miss. <laughs> um, or at least you know people have seen him, but we we don't have like the tangible proof. The average size, and I'm going to give you some stats that I got from the Bigfoot Fields Researchers Organization. Excellent. And so they've compiled like a lot of information about Bigfoot sightings. So they would know best. <laughs> I mean, this is a on average six to seven foot tall animal. It's well within the range of human existence, although there are cases where people have said that it's up to 10 feet. And I actually had a really interesting conversation with the uh, man that runs the Bigfoot Discovery Center in Felton, California. He thinks that most of the Bigfoot sightings are underestimating how tall Bigfoot is because he thinks that the Bigfoot that we see are probably young, stupid Bigfoot that are, like, Mm. wandering out into, like, the roads and, like, getting close to people because they're, like, curious and young. And so he thinks that, like, six to seven foot is, like, a juvenile Bigfoot. Mm, the reckless teenager. Yes, exactly. These are like <laughs> reckless teenagers that don't know any better uh, than to hide from humans.
0: Implying that like the hiding is a behavioral thing that they yes. have to
1: learn. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Um, which, I mean, smart on them because humans have caused a lot of uh, ecological destruction. And if you're trying to survive as a species, if you have the brains to... It's best to avoid (laughs) humans. Hiding from humans is an excellent strategy, I must say. You know, at the same time, like, how well can something that is, like, seven to ten feet tall really hide? It's not like these are terribly unpopulated areas. The west coast of the United States is not unpopulated by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. So, again, thinking about whether or not we can say that it's plausible that this kind of thing is wandering around the woods, not super likely. The other thing about Bigfoot is that if we're assuming that Bigfoot is related to humans and primates generally, by and large, great apes, which are part of the primate phylogenetic tree, um, the family tree of primates, great apes are the largest ones. They don't have um, tails is one of the really big differentiators between great apes and the other like monkeys. Great apes includes gorillas, chimpanzees and bonobos um, and technically humans, although obviously we're sort of our own thing. So Bigfoot taxonomically would make sense within the great apes. So what we know about great apes is that we're very social creatures. Obviously, humans are very social creatures. We live in large groups. Chimpanzees, bonobos, gorillas, they all live in these huge groups. So if Bigfoot is a great ape, you would expect it to be in these huge groups. The exception to that is the last great ape is the orangutan, which is pretty different from the other great apes because while the other great apes are very social and they live in these huge groups, orangutans are much more solitary. They usually live with, like, a mom and some kids in these, like, huge home ranges that, like, overlap a little bit with other orangutans, but not, they try not to uh, come together very often. So maybe we're talking about a species that does have something a little bit more orangutan-like. We have these smaller groups, which would make it a little bit more plausible that they could be, you know, if we have one Bigfoot and they're babies and they have, like, A 50-mile home range because this is like a huge ape bigger than an orangutan so we would give it a bigger home range maybe there's just such a low population density that we haven't seen them so that's where you know I'm pushing the plausibility up a little bit (laughs) because you would think if it is going to be a solitary great ape the only like reference we have for that is the orangutan and they do have very very large home ranges that barely overlap so maybe the population density is just very, very low. So, you know, I'm going to give them, like, one or two points in plausibility there. Sure. Taking down a whole notch for the fact that this is a seven-foot tall, like, (laughs) primate wandering through the woods, giving them a little bit back. And then also giving them back because, like you said, that idea that, like, the hiding is, like, behavioral. Because I live on the West Coast and Bigfoot merch is everywhere. And you see a lot of stickers at, like, roadside stands that say, Bigfoot, hide-and-seek champion. (laughs) Like, like, sort of implying that, like, Bigfoot are avoiding people on purpose. And really there's no way to believe in like an actual tangible Bigfoot and think that they're not actively avoiding humans because if they were not actively avoiding humans, we would have found them already. Right. This has got to be intentional. <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of built into like if you read that website that I mentioned, the um the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, like in their like behavior section, they talk about avoidance of humans, and they also talk about things like Bigfoot will like throw rocks at people to like get them to run away. Like that's something you see in a lot of Bigfoot stories is like rock throwing, log throwing, smashing people over the head with rocks, which certainly rocks sort of sometimes if you're in a mountainous area do roll loose and roll down the <laughs> mountain. Um but if we're talking about a big primate that's trying to get people to stay away, some hostility. Yeah. You know, especially if we're talking about like like with the orangutans, we're talking about a solitary mother and like maybe one or two babies. We know how, like, bears act when you get near their babies, so maybe these are mother Bigfoots trying to keep humans away from their babies. Maybe that's why they're being so aggressive with the throwing of rocks, which, again, you hear that a lot, is this idea that Bigfoot is, like, throwing rocks at people, smashing them over the head with rocks. I don't know that I've ever heard of a specific account of somebody being smashed over the head by a rock by Bigfoot, but it is something that comes up in, like, Bigfoot lore a lot. I'm also imagining, like, a
0: territorial male. Yeah. Right? Like, if it's, like, a male that is feeling territorial and sees a human in its range, a human might be something that it would maybe recognize as, like, a potential competitor. Yeah. And then act hostily towards that.
1: Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, if we're looking at Bigfoot and recognizing sort of ourselves and our species in Bigfoot, presumably Bigfoot has enough intelligence to recognize us as something similar to them. And therefore, please stay out of my territory.
0: Right. I wonder if humans would activate that uncanny valley, like uneasiness in Bigfoot. Yeah. To be like,
1: "Uh, something's off here. (laughs) Yeah, I think Bigfoot sort of brings that out in us. Is this like, oh, it's like us, but it's not like us. And... I don't know how to feel about it just off enough the vibes are just like slightly (laughs) (laughs) um bigfoot apparently has this absolutely terrible odor that you're supposed to be able to like smell a mile away it's like the bigfoot field researchers organization has a stat of 10 to 15 percent of close encounters include this intense disagreeable stench to which they would say that's proof to which i would say there's a lot of things that smell very bad in the woods Decomposing animals, for one. Not a great smell. Skunks. Skunks. Not a great smell. Animals poop in the woods. Not a great (laughs) smell. So, you know, I'm not going to give Bigfoot a lot of plausibility points back for that. Another thing is, like, one of the classic Bigfoot things, and this is something that you see in those Coast Salish stories. Like, the native people have these stories of, like, Bigfoot whistling. This idea of whistling. And other noises that are associated with Bigfoot are, like, howls, roars, knocking sounds, like a repetitive knocking on trees which other than the whistling you can pretty much just describe away the howling and the roaring with other animals in the woods that howl and roar like mountain lions like scream they make like a like i think that they're called mountain screamers in like some parts of the country these are animals that scream um and they also live all across north america so you know you can sort of explain a lot of the howling and the roaring and like the repetitive knocking sounds easily explained away by wind knocking like a loose branch over and over and over again whistling i don't really know how you would explain away i personally can't think of any species that i know of in like the western united states that whistle although birds can make sounds that are like sort of whistly so maybe that's but you know maybe i'll give them a point a plausibility point back for i don't know what's whistling out there could be a could be a squatch Could be. Could be. I don't have a great explanation for whistling. I'm sure that somebody that is much more familiar with the ecology (laughs) of birds in the Western United States would be like, oh, I know exactly a bird call that sounds like a whistle.
0: I'm also thinking because you mentioned that they would have a very low population density yes. and a very wide home range, yes. but they still do have to mate somehow. Yeah. Like, they've got to find each other somehow. So they would need some way to communicate over a large distance. Yes. And
1: whistling could get the job done. It's true, yeah. it is. It's a sound that carries, for sure. So maybe this is a really great adaptation that they have, this whistling communication.
0: Yeah. And something that like wouldn't necessarily give away exactly what they are either. Like a whistle yeah. could be something that would carry and also not particularly scream, hey, there's a Bigfoot over yeah, here. Yeah,
1: they're not like shouting out into the woods, hello, yeah. I'm a Squatch, and letting everybody <laughs> know. So that's sort of, I guess, my plausibility to just summarize is taking a bunch of points away for this is a very large animal that we have somehow not seen, yeah. giving a little bit more points <laughs> back for it's possible that they are, one, behaviorally actively avoiding detection, and two, if we're using orangutans as like a proxy, they could have these very massive home ranges, very, very low population densities, which could lend credence to the idea that there is something out there. So right. <laughs> given, you know, some sort of four out of ten, giving them a couple of points back, giving them the benefit of the doubt, because again, I want so badly for Bigfoot to be real. <laughs> <laughs> I want it so bad. Absolutely.
0: Hey friends, it's me again. Come rest by the campfire and roast some marshmallows. I am back to talk Max Fun Drive one more time. As I mentioned earlier, in addition to the bonus podcast content, there are also opportunities for some really cool physical merch that you can get at different levels of membership, in addition to the bonus content you unlock at the $5 a month level. If you sign up for a $10 per month membership, you get to choose a beautiful embroidered patch. There is a design for every show in the network, including this one. The Just the Zoo of Us patch is incredible. It has an ocean. ocean sunfish on it. And it says pretty good, actually, which is what I said about the ocean sunfish in our episode about them. And it is just so adorable with a blissful little smile. I cannot wait to see it out in the wild. At the $20 a month level is a creativity pack, which includes an inspiration deck of activity cards, modeling clay and a black wing pencil. If this isn't your wheelhouse, there is another option for an embroidered MaxFun logo hat. And if you're looking for something to put your Sunfish patch on that you can also keep your creativity pack in, at the $35 a month level, there is a canvas messenger bag with the MaxFun logo embroidered on the front. Keep in mind that at each level, you get that gift on top of all the gifts for the tiers below it as well. And of course, in addition to the material rewards of Maximum Fun Branded Swag, you will also be a part of sustaining podcasts like ours that entertain, educate, and uplift people every day. Next week, I'm going to share more of the experiences that you folks in the audience have sent in to us. But I have heard from you all that the podcast has helped folks all over the world conquer fears, persevere through difficult times, rekindle a love of nature, or even discover a new passion for science. So if our show and others on the network have enriched your life or provided you with joy, please consider joining us as a member and keeping our podcasting ecosystem lush and thriving at MaximumFun.org slash join. All right, douse the campfire with water and stir the ashes. Let's get back to Bigfoot. The other category we wanted to rate Bigfoot on, instead of our usual ingenuity, is mystery. How big is the gap in our knowledge? What questions are there that are like, well, we don't particularly know, Mm -hmm. like this could be a Bigfoot thing. Like, what would you rate Bigfoot
1: for mystery? I think that I would rank Bigfoot, maybe like a seven or an eight in terms of mystery. Because (laughs) there are a lot of things that I think about Bigfoot that... For one, like I said, in plausibility, like there is the potential for there to be something that we haven't seen. But I also think that if we go back to thinking about the Okapi, right? It's this idea that the indigenous people of that area knew what was going on and you know white people just didn't want to believe it and i think that if we're talking about sasquatch specifically thinking about like the origins of sasquatch and in the sort of pacific northwest area the western like mountain ranges um, of the united states and canada we see that like our definitions of what species exist isn't really compatible at all with the way that indigenous people think about like these species uh wayne Suttles again when he was like doing this research about like well what do the salish people say about bigfoot he he really finds that like there is no distinction in like their like thought of the real and the mythical like that's a line that doesn't exist and they would tell you very frank like his informants were like yeah bigfoot is a real animal just like a whale or like a bear this is a species that exists like they would give it in their list of they were listing all the species that live in their area. That's something that would come up. And I think that part of that and part of the way that like Wayne Suttles talks about it is that Western science doesn't really have the capability to cope with that. We don't know how to deal with that. And he talks about like some anthropologists, he knows for a fact that those cultures have like Bigfoot stories or Sasquatch stories, but then you read the anthropologist account and it's just totally left out. And he's like, I don't think that this is like intentionally trying to like hide that information. I think it's just that an informant told them that and they went, I don't know what to do with that information. I'm just not, I don't know what to do with that. And I think that that's, there is a lot to be said about our capability within like Western thought and Western science to not be able to deal with the existence of something like Bigfoot And I think that that inability of us to wrap our head around the fact that like real and mythical and supernatural and natural are categories that might not exist, it's just totally outside of our worldview. So I think that that inability of our own like Western thought lends a lot to that mystery. So maybe there is no tangible physical Bigfoot. But you see in these societies where Bigfoot exists, like the Coast Salish, that they are doing things in reaction to bigfoot they they know that bigfoot exists and they are avoiding certain areas because of bigfoot and they have stories about bigfoot and they live in a world where bigfoot is real just like all the other like creatures that we might call mythical they live in a world where bigfoot is real and in that sense bigfoot is real because they're reacting to it and this is the case in pretty much everywhere where there is some sort of story of bigfoot or some other kind of species that we would call mythical like the people are reacting to it and know that it is real
0: He's practically real.
1: Yeah, it's functionally real in that society. Whether or not I can go touch a Bigfoot, the the potential that like we just as like people from our social position can't really grasp the idea that these things can all like coexist. I think that that lends more to the mystery of it. You know, maybe it's just sort of outside of our own framework. His impact is real. His impact is real. And I mean, like, outside of, like, the whole philosophical thing that I just went off on (laughs) with, like, indigenous cultures, which is really, like, what my, like, research is in, is thinking about, like, taking indigenous cultures and their oral histories at face value is really important to the research that I do. But, like, moving away from that, if we're talking about, like, Bigfoot's impact to us, Bigfoot holds up economies in some places, you know? Like, there are towns that's entire tourist ecosystem is built around Bigfoot. Bigfoot is real to those towns because their entire economy is based on Bigfoot. I have this like dream of if you drive up Highway 101, um, which is sort of goes along the west coast, if you drive 101 up from like Marin County, you pass so many Bigfoot like tourist traps. And I have a dream of one day stopping at every single one. (laughs) Normally I'm going somewhere on purpose and I don't have time to do that but like Bigfoot uh, he has a function in that like those places you know it's a Bigfoot pub crawl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, oh, the dream of Bigfoot pub crawl. Really what I want to do is I have this like life goal to do a cryptid road trip across the United States. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, go see like all the best Bigfoot museums. Go see Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where Mothman was sighted. Go to like there's places that have like jackalope museums. And then end it at there's like a cryptozoology museum in Maine. And I like, you know, I want to do this whole big road trip. But that's like examples of these things like all across the United States where like there are like. Whole towns that it's like, we need to believe that this exists so that we can build our entire town around it. We need other people to believe this exists so that we can build our tower, our whole entire town's economy around it. You know, and again, so like in that sense, Bigfoot is like real. He's he has an impact in the world.
0: Yeah, very, very tangible
1: footprints, as it yeah. were. <laughs> exactly. Yes. The tracks of Bigfoot are just littered across the United States. <laughs> massive massive <laughs> footprints yeah. uh, so again not to get too philosophical or metaphysical on this podcast that is about animals and nature but <laughs> i do think that something that like anthropologists study and something that i study specifically in archaeology is the idea of like the relationship between people and the environment and the way that people conceive of the environment and how that impacts how you like live within the environment and i think that again bigfoot Maybe Bigfoot ties into my research more than I realize because, like, really (laughs) what Bigfoot is, is like a manifestation of the relationship between people and the environment. And also, and this is probably way too, like, out of left field for this podcast, but if you think about it, (laughs) the way that, like, people relate to the environment is really reflected in Bigfoot because, in, like, Coast Salish society, Bigfoot is like an animal that is similar to humans, but not like humans that you have to interact with. And there's much more of like a symbiotic, like leveled out relationship. Whereas in Western society, which is capitalist and like we're all built around market economies and like commercial value, Bigfoot is being used as a commercial like tool. Like Bigfoot's part of the economy, functions in the economy as something that you can make money from. Like a gimmick. Yeah, like I think that speaks something to the way that like we function with the environment and the relationship we have with our environment. So really in that sense, Bigfoot encapsulates our relationship with the environment.
0: It's an interesting indicator of yeah. your sort of
1: cultural values. Yeah, yeah. I love Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot's a great, Bigfoot is a great tool for like thinking through things, I think, you know? It, yeah. It tells you a lot about society and yourself. I mean, that's what we've been talking about this whole time. It tells people about where do we fit in society? What is it like to be the only member of our genus that's still alive? Bigfoot really, he's what we make of him, you know? And I think that that's really important for telling ourselves stories about us which is again humans are obsessed with
0: it. <laughs> he's a great prompt he is
1: he's a think piece he is.
0: <laughs> he's a he's a jumping board yeah
1: and we live in a think piece economy right now you know people yeah. love to write a good think piece so i think you know bigfoot really slotting right in there <laughs> giving you yeah like a jumping board really and again talking about this idea of like taking indigenous oral history at face value first of all calling it oral history like these are histories and also, like, like my research, I, like, study how the Coquell tribe in Oregon manages their, like, um, environment, and specifically, like, how they maintain sustainable, like, shellfish harvesting practices, and it's, like, based in, like, their worldview wherein shellfish are people, and if they're people and they're relatives, you have to maintain a reciprocal kin relationship with them so you can't like take advantage of your relatives and like totally destroy the ecosystem totally disrespectful totally not how you handle relatives right and you see that they are maintaining a very like symbiotic relationship with them which is like based in this idea that these are relatives you know if we're trying to tie this into like this is an animal podcast we're talking about animals the idea that like humans are something totally different from nature is sort of something that we made up and a lot of indigenous cultures are like It's not even that, like, oh, we are animals. It's, like, the opposite. Animals are people, and we're seeing in terms of conservation worldwide, like, so much knowledge from indigenous peoples turns out was like the thing that was keeping those ecosystems afloat, where like when you try to like take people out of those ecosystems, everything falls apart. Like, again, I live in California, so our wildfires are like hugely created by the fact that we don't do indigenous cultural burning anymore. We had this idea that fire's bad. We don't want any fire. Like we're going to suppress all the fire in all the like national and state parks. And then it turns out that no, actually, you do need to like have controlled burns constantly because- it prevents the buildup of like underbrush and like fuel. But indigenous people knew that. They've been doing that for like 10,000 years. So in terms of trying to like fight things like climate change and like natural disasters, listening to what they have to say. And a lot of that information is drawn from their oral histories. Indigenous oral history comes into those sorts of things in like a really, really, real powerful way. I mean, you look like 20 years ago and like what we thought we knew about like science and nature is like totally changed, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you like come to anything, like if you come to Bigfoot totally up, like I will never believe in it. It's almost naive if you think about it, because if you look at the course of human knowledge, we're constantly learning new things. And I think that assuming outright that we know everything right now, like we know everything that can be known, is it's like a logical fallacy. Evidence says if we can know anything is that we don't know everything yet. You know, like that's like the one thing we can know for sure is that we don't know everything yet. We're constantly learning, constantly refining our knowledge in basically every single realm of science, but there's constantly new things to be learned. And so looking at something like Bigfoot and just assuming outright we're, that can't possibly exist, we're never going to know it, you know, like sure maybe there isn't a tangible bigfoot but assuming that there can't possibly be is sort of i think anti like discovery you know it's like leave yourself open for like the possibility of more out there you know it's even if you don't ever actually expect to find a tangible bigfoot having that like curiosity and that like feeling of curiosity and also people that like, go out into like the woods and like go like hiking because they're like interested in that kind of stuff you know and there are definitely like the tinfoil hat people that like <laughs> are like trespassing through areas they're not supposed to be and like doing all sorts of stuff but then like for example there's a county in Washington that like listed Bigfoot as a protected species that can be if you harm a <laughs> sasquatch there's like a thousand dollar fine part of the reason they did that is because of they are in an area where there's a lot of of parkland and people are like coming to visit to like be in nature and so they sort of they use Bigfoot as this way of promoting going out into nature and like being a part of the ecosystem and being respectful of it so they use Bigfoot as an opportunity to do that stuff and I think that like we sort of said Bigfoot like a springboard for other things Bigfoot like pushes you towards like curiosity and interest in nature and gives you that wonder you know even if you don't ever expect to find Bigfoot in real life it's so fun to think about and I think that, <laughs> that like joy and like playfulness of Bigfoot can really lend itself to keeping people interested in things like science and nature and what it means to be human and what it means to be human in relation to the environment because life would be really really boring if we knew everything already you know and life would be really boring if we just thought well there's nothing more to learn so yeah yeah Let yourself have fun. Believe in Bigfoot, believe in aliens, believe in ghosts. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting there to be something out there that's more than we know right now.
0: Oh, hot take for this podcast, I know. But I 100% with all of my heart, not even the faintest hint of irony, believe that there are aliens out there somewhere.
1: Well, there are 100% aliens out there because the universe is infinite. And to think that humans are that this is the only time that life has ever happened ever any kind of life right. is totally self-obsessed of us like ludicrously narcissistic it's so narcissistic and humans love to be narcissistic but like the idea that there's like literally no other kind of life out there is just ridiculous it's an infinite universe
0: it's a numbers game at this yeah. point
1: <laughs> yes the likelihood of them and us running into each other is heartbreakingly low very very low but the same thing can be said for aliens is that it encourages people to be interested in space and interested in space exploration. And like, sure, maybe you don't ever think that aliens are you're going to find an alien, but it encourages that, like, fascination in space. So I think that Bigfoot can be very inspiring in that way. You usually wrap up your episodes talking about the conservation status, right, of these Absolutely. like species. So I already <laughs> mentioned that there's the Suscomania County, Washington protected species officially on the county law
0: (laughs) i love that i i love bigfoot
1: having legal protections oh yeah and i don't know that they've ever had to give a thousand dollar fine or a year in jail for harming a bigfoot but you know, it's on the books. That would be a big story. (laughs) In 2018, so tragically, there were two bills that didn't make it through the Washington state uh, legislature, but there were two bills on the floor, one of which was going to make Bigfoot Washington's official state cryptid, like, you know how you have an official flower or an official bird? Uh Uh-huh. They really wanted, like, to make Bigfoot the official state cryptid, which would obviously sort of go along with, like, certain protective status for it, but then also there was another bill to create specialty license plates that would have Bigfoot on it. (gasps) That'd be so cool. The idea being that if you bought that specialty license plate, the money would go to the Washington State Parks, which tragically didn't happen. I was living in Washington at the time, and I was like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And then it didn't, didn't pass the legislature did it not pass in the sense that they don't have a state cryptid or yeah we don't have a state nothing is the state cryptid I was going to say like what could possibly be what, bigfoot what could possibly be bigfoot in washington that's basically <laughs> what they have so no it did nothing passed um and they do have like a specialty license plate program where there are like animals and you can buy like yeah. a orca you know license plate and it the money goes to the state parks
0: we've got that on our car we've got yeah. the a bear one yeah
1: but of course The state legislature decided to have absolutely no fun with it and didn't didn't pass the Bigfoot one, which would have benefited state parks, which is another thing that I think you talk a lot about on the show of the idea of these charismatic, big, like, animals like the panda bear or, like, you know, the gorilla, like, these really big, charismatic species that sort of end up being, like, ambassadors and, like, spokespeople for their entire, like, ecosystem and like ultimately it benefits the entire ecosystem to try to be conserving that one species and Bigfoot certainly can, like, serve that sort of function in terms of, like, conservation. Like, in 2017, the U.S. Forestry Service, for their April Fool's joke, did, like, a huge thing about the loss of Bigfoot habitat. And it says, The habitat of one of America's greatest legends may be at risk. And they had these, like, posters and stuff made for April Fool's. And then at the end of this long thing that they had about Bigfoot's, like, habitat being, like, endangered and stuff, they ended it with real stats on, like, forest loss in the united states you know like bigfoot can be that that charismatic like large species that's your flagship right there exactly you know like (laughs) bigfoot has a lot to give in terms of conservation and learning to like care about these spaces and i think he's more than happy to be the face of that uh those kinds of movements
0: what is your what are your thoughts and feelings towards faked bigfoot videos and photos and stuff like we've all probably got an image yes. in our mind oh
1: the film it's the patterson gimlet bigfoot film that's the thing that everybody's like familiar you're like close your eyes picture it you can see bigfoot walking his arms are swaying mm-hmm. and he like sort of looks to the camera that's the patterson gimlet film that is faked and i think what i would say to them is no fair no fun <laughs> You know, it's one thing for somebody to, like, say that they saw Bigfoot. It's another thing to, like, trick people into saying you saw Bigfoot. Or, like, you know, it's one thing to, like, have your entire town's, like, tourist economy based around, like, being Bigfoot country. And another thing to just lie to people to get them to come. Like hey, Bigfoot is out there and he's special, and you're taking away from that. Now he's being misrepresented. Exactly, exactly.
0: And it's also a sense of like, well, how do you know that that's what Bigfoot would even look like? Because then they're placing themselves in a position of authority being like, this is how we're going to say
1: Bigfoot canonically looks. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what
0: gives you the right to say what Bigfoot
1: looks like? It's tragic. One more thing. (laughs) There's this really interesting study that somebody did where they they modeled the what the range of Bigfoot habitat would look like based on Bigfoot sightings like they took Bigfoot sightings and overlaid them over environmental data and then like extracted what categories like lend themselves most to Bigfoot sightings and basically moral of the story is they found that um, the Bigfoot habitat range and black bear is exactly the same <laughs> Interesting, interesting, interesting thing about Bigfoot's range is it it is statistically exactly the same as the American black bears range. Do with that information what you will. And, you know, saving Bigfoot habitat saves black bear habitat. That's just a fact. They are exactly the same. Whether or not you're saying that those Bigfoot sightings were black bear? I don't know. But I can say that they are exactly the same range. So if you protect (laughs) Bigfoot habitat, you are protecting black bear habitat. I
0: will say an element of that that could be in favor of the tangible existence of said Bigfoot is that that range clearly is going to be in environments that can already support a very large omnivore. It's true. So like that's an ecosystem that lends itself to the trophic level that yes. would <laughs> need well, to... Then, but
1: then we have another issue with plausibility is that like, can it support two different species that fill the exact same ecological niche? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I guess I they know. would, wouldn't they? <laughs> I don't know. They're in direct competition. Maybe the black bear have made Bigfoot go extinct. Maybe they outcompeted them in their natural range. Mm, that would be in direct
0: opposition to the arguments of pretty much every dude who has said they could beat up a bear. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. No, they out-competed Bigfoot. So what are you going to do about it?
0: Yeah. Who is saying they can beat up a bear? I've seen dudes say they could beat oh up a my bear. God.
1: I know. Talk about human narcissism. <laughs> thinking that you can beat up a black bear, you're not gonna win. They're not even the biggest bear. No, they're not even the biggest bear and you're still not gonna win. And also they don't want to fight you. They don't. Bears are not aggressive.
0: <laughs> I've never experienced an aggressive bear. <laughs> no,
1: I've been within like fifty feet of a black bear before. They and they just it just sat there and stared at me. And at the, like, huge group of people that gathered around to stare at it, which was very stupid of them.
0: I mean, that's the thing, like, maybe the bears and Bigfoot have sort of an understanding not to bother each other. Like, you know, maybe they're scared of each other. (laughs) Maybe they
1: recognize, like, hey, we're in this together trying to avoid humans getting in on our stuff.
0: (laughs) Game recognizes game. You know, and the bear's (laughs)
1: like, I don't have opposable thumbs, so maybe if you could throw a rock at the human, that would be great, because I can't pick up a rock. They're teaming up. Yeah, this is an alliance. Definitely somebody needs to write a like paper about like the species interaction going on there. to couple with the species modeling paper that uh, demonstrated that their habitats are identical. See, this is what I like about
0: Bigfoot is that it gives you an opportunity to think about things like, well, how would, you know, an interaction play out between a great ape and a black bear living in the same place? Like, you could probably look at like the interactions between bears and apes that live in Asia, like in places where... Yeah,
1: I guess that is, that's probably the only place that they really overlap, huh? Like there being like
0: forests where you'll find probably like... Like a sun bear and an orangutan or something. Right, like bears and great apes live together in... In places like that.
1: I mean, we share a range with lots of bears. So it's not unprecedented. And it's not a great species interaction. Maybe we should learn from Bigfoot and their coexistence with the bears. We could all be a little bit more like Bigfoot, I think.
0: And that's the tagline right there. That's the TLDR, yeah. uh, we can all afford to be a little bit more Bigfoot-like in our lives. A little lives, bit so. more like Bigfoot. Open your mind and your heart to Bigfoot, and it'll just unlock the entire world of childlike wonder. Yeah.
1: And that's the thing is like, when people ask me like, okay, but do you believe in Bigfoot? Like I said, I gave it a 4 out of 10 plausibility, but here's the thing, it's so much more fun to believe in Bigfoot. It is. It's just so much more fun to believe in Bigfoot. Like choose joy. <laughs> you choose joy, choose Bigfoot. Don't give up on your childlike wonder.
0: It's believing with your heart and not
1: your mind. exactly. <laughs> well, like I said, I did give it a four out of ten. There's the sliver of hope because I can't give up on the fact that Bigfoot's out there waiting for me to hang out with him. <laughs> it's what he represents. Yeah, That's what he it's stands what Bigfoot for represents to us and our hearts and our souls. He's an icon. <laughs> He's an icon. He's our dear relative. He's the only other extant species of our genus. I'm gonna say it now. <laughs>
0: He would never
1: give up on us. No. So believe in Bigfoot because he believes in you. Exactly. Exactly. I do think that I've seen like that on a t-shirt. That's
0: probably on there. That's probably where I got it from.
1: <laughs> yeah, just I believe in you, Bigfoot, and you believe in me. And
0: Bigfoot if you're listening.
1: Bigfoot we do if love you're you. listening. Somebody leave a like iPod out in the woods with Bigfoot. <laughs> Blast it on some speakers out in the forest. Let Bigfoot know that we're here that we love him.
0: I I have to tell you, there is somebody out there who plays this podcast on speakers to keep cougars away. This podcast has been used as cougar deterrent. Oh. Which I was overjoyed to hear about. Yeah, that's great. Normally,
1: like when I've had to do survey in areas where there are bears and um, cougars, I just occasionally like shout. Like, you just walk around and you just absentmindedly shout every once in a while just to let them know. I think it would probably be much more pleasant to the other people I'm surveying with to be blasting a podcast. As long as it's a podcast everybody can agree on. Who can disagree with listening to t- people talk about animals? <laughs> if you're if you're surveying in the woods and you have a job that involves you needing to survey in the woods, I think that you're the kind of person that wants to listen to a podcast <laughs> about animals.
0: We clearly all have common ground here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Elliot, before we wrap up for today, I would love it if you could let our listeners know, like, what kind of projects do you have ongoing right now? What
1: are you involved with that you want people to
0: know about? Like, what do you want to leave our listeners with today?
1: So I have two things that I want to shout out. One is a really big thing that I'm involved in is this anarchist archaeology collective called the Black Trowel Collective. And we do a lot of things. But one of the big things that we do is we have a microgrants committee where Archaeology students that are in need of a little bit of financial help can apply to get like no strings attached money, um, which is really great. So if you just Google Black Trowel Collective, how do you spell that? The trowel part. T R O W E L. Okay. Like a garden trowel. Got it. Yes. And then the other thing that I want to shout out is so you know Sasquatch is inspired by Coast Salish oral histories. So I want to encourage your listeners to support a land-focused organization that is based in Coast Salish territory. There are a couple, but I'm going to shout out the Na'a Ilahi Fund specifically. They're based in Seattle. And they have grants and a lot of community programs that support indigenous ecology, food sovereignty, and wise action. And they work to advance climate and gender justice. So I think that that's something that animal lovers and lovers of the environment can get behind is, you know, supporting indigenous ecology and food sovereignty in the Coast Salish homelands where Bigfoot lives and where the Sasquatch like stories come from. So I just wanted to shout out the uh, Na'a Ilahi Fund and I can give you the link for that also.
0: Awesome. Those links will all be in the episode description.
1: Yeah. So just scroll down on your app and you can
0: click through those.
1: Um, And you can find me on Twitter at Helmer A-R-C-H-H-E-L-M-E-R on Twitter. I don't normally tweet about Bigfoot. I mostly tweet about some of the other stuff we talked about, the like indigenous oral history stuff and broadly about the environment and other anthropology topics. And shellfish, a lot of shellfish I talk about. So if you're into (laughs) um, marine ecosystems, I definitely tweet a lot about that. Which if you're here listening... You probably are. <laughs> yes, yeah. I was so disappointed when when I first started listening to this podcast. I was like, maybe I should email and I could do like a barnacle episode. And then there was a barnacle episode already. And I was like, <laughs> sorry. Dang <it." laughs> So I was like, well, what do I know uh, as much about as I know about barnacles? Bigfoot.
0: And we had not had a Bigfoot episode. So, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so now you are the uh, the intro to Cryptids on just the two yes. of us. Now yes. the, the precedent has been
1: set there is a now an expectation <laughs> oh boy well i whoever has to talk about cryptids next please you do not feel like you have to talk about philosophy and anthropology as much as i
0: did but that's the fun part I know of
1: cryptids i like, know it gets the wheels turning it really does and you know bigfoot is an anthropological topic
0: absolutely he fits right in with primatology yeah we've had primatologists come on to talk about other yep. primates
1: so we have primatologists in my department so you know it's it's part of anthropology it's very real
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Elliot, for spreading appreciation for Bigfoot, sharing your knowledge. And this has been delightful. Everybody go uh, follow Elliot, scroll down, check out some of the links that they dropped. And thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. All right. I had a great time. Thanks. Me too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that you have learned something new, whether it's about Bigfoot or about yourself and your place in our big, beautiful world. Remember, it is Bigfoot's world. We're just living in it. It has been refreshing to explore mysteries like cryptids and the unknowns of nature with each episode of this podcast. I learn something new and come away with some new perspective, and I hope that you do too. It's really a theme that is central to this podcast, and being able to explore those themes has been so meaningful, not just to me personally, but I just think it's an important thing to be doing always, but especially now when it's so needed. So if you too find exploring the mysteries of nature to be of value in the world today, and you are in such a position that allows it, please do sign up for a membership to support this podcast so that we can keep putting unabashedly joyful content out for all you nature nerds out there. One more time, that is MaximumFun.org slash join. Next week, you, the audience, are the star of the show. Christian and I will be answering your questions. If you haven't sent them in yet, they is still a little bit of time, send them to me via email at ellen at just of us.com by Friday, April 29th. We are also going to be opening up those experiences that you beautiful folks have shared with us. So stay tuned for those. I really can't wait. I love y'all. Finally, thank you to Louis Zong for our beautiful theme music. And we'll see y'all next week for our Q&A episode. Bye!